Good morning. I would like to greet you in Jesus' name as we gather on the Lord's Day. In these trying times, we might feel alone. We might be tempted to feel that we're completely alone, but we're not. We have each other. I've tried to make a conscious effort to, to reach out to different people, and, and I know many other people are doing this. And I would like to encourage each of us to, to keep this up. Keep out reaching out to each other, encouraging each other, and making sure that no one is completely alone. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that he will never leave us or forsake us. I love that passage from Hebrews 13. In Genesis, we see an example of this. Joseph suffers many setbacks, many real difficulties. And each time, three times, in fact, it says, and God was with Joseph. And so I believe God hasn't changed, that he'll be with us in our difficult times, in our trying times, in our good times, and in our times that are not so great. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about a letter Jesus wrote to a specific local church around 90 AD. And I believe it's applicable and I believe it's encouraging for us even today in 2020. So if you have your Bible, could you open to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. But you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Lord, could you please help us who are home and in different places, Lord, to hear your word, to be touched by your word, and may you do a work in our life. We ask you for your help. Amen. When we look at the book of Revelation chapter 2, and specifically we look at the letter to the Ephesian church, I would like to um, just have a quick overview, first of all, an overview of Ephesus and the passage before we get into the text of the message. Ephesus was an important port city located at the eastern tip of the Mediterranean. In Bible times, this was called the province of Asia. Today, ruins of this ancient city can be found on the western tip of, of Turkey. Experts believe that Ephesus was a, rather lar a very large city for its time of 250,000 people in its heyday. And they believe that, they base that on the size of an amphitheater that was excavated. They excavated this huge amphitheater and found that it could seat 25,000 people. That's quite a bit larger than the Bell Centre in Montreal. And the logic for estimating the population was they believed that these amphitheaters were built to hold about 10% of the population. Thus, you get a number of about a quarter of a million people, they believe, lived in Ephesus in its heyday. 
This certainly gives us something to consider and something to really visualize when we read different passages in the Bible. For example, the riot that was recorded in Acts 19 in Ephesus. You remember that people came to faith in Christ and this had affected the economy. And a man named Demetrius was very unhappy about it because it was going to affect uh, presumably some of his prophets. And he explained this to the fellow Ephesians who were not believers and Acts 19 says this, When the Ephesians heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar and people seized Paul's traveling companions and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul, the Bible says Paul wanted to enter to address the crowd, but the disciples probably very wisely convinced him not to. Acts 18 and 19 outlines the beginning of this church and fills in some of the details for us. For example, in Ephesus, uh, it tells us that God revealed himself to Jew and Gentile in rather extraordinary fashion. In Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, it says that um, there was uh, a witness of miracles. So miracles occurred and it says that in fact even if uh, garments or handkerchiefs were brought from Paul and laid on the sick, people were healed. So there was a witness of miracles. There was also a witness of evil spirits. You remember the man in Acts 19 that was casting out demons and the demon said to him, Jesus I know and I know about Paul but who are you? And the man was beaten. There was a witness of social transformation if you read Acts chapter 19, 26 and 27. Um, the reason Demetrius was so upset was that many people had turned from worshipping a false god to following Jesus. So that's just a little bit of the overview of the city before we get into the text. And I just want to look at an overview of the passage for a minute, just so we, we understand the context of it. This passage starts out by saying, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, and so begins this mysterious and wonderful section of seven letters to seven real historical churches that we find in Revelation 2 and 3. And today we will look at the first one, that is the letter to the church in Ephesus. So the Bible says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. This glorious being is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one holding the stars. The passage is very majestic. It is Revelation chapter 1 and starts at verse 10 to 16. I want to read it to you because it really it's so beautiful. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice which was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Beautiful passage describing Jesus. 
And if you know the Bible a little bit, you'll see there's some relationship between this passage and Daniel 7, verse 13, where there's some allusion to, to, uh, to the same person. Revelation 1 and 20 explains the symbolism of the light stand and the stars, that is the messenger and the churches. And the seven letters all follow the same pattern. Some of the details are slightly different, but the pattern remains the same. The first thing that happens in each of the seven letters is a revelation of Jesus. And so each of the churches, Jesus is introduced in a slightly different way. To Ephesus, it says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden candlesticks. So Jesus walks among us in the churches today. In each of the seven letters, there's a summary. There's pros and cons of church life. Just like our church, there's pros and cons in every church. And some of the positive things Jesus says about the Ephesians is that they had been hard workers. They had not given up. They did not tolerate blatant practices of evil. And they endured hardship because of their faith. And finally, they hated the practices of a certain sect called the Nicolaitans. And in practical terms, this was a demonstration, this was evidence that they embraced and shared God's view of morality and ethics. There was also a negative side to the message, and Jesus said that they had left their first love. In each of the seven letters, there's a conclusion and a promise. The conclusion is, is not identical, but it's, it's almost identical in the seven letters. And to the Ephesians, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And finally, Jesus leaves them with a promise, with hope. And to the Ephesians, he says, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So what have we seen so far? We've laid down the groundwork for the message that I want to share. And we've seen that even though this letter is in a greater context of prophecy, eschatology, some of which at times are images hard to understand, difficult to, and uh, challenging to apply. But we see in this section of the book, seven letters to seven churches, we see things that might be a little easier to understand and that lends itself more to direct life application. In these difficult times, let us focus on the Bible. Let us focus on what we can know, what we can understand, how we can follow Jesus. And, and let us put to the side um, what wild theories or, or things that can't be answered anyway. We can consider them. There's nothing wrong with thinking about them. But let us not be preoccupied with conspiracy theories, uh, with wild ideas that can't be proven either way. Let's focus on the scriptures and what they teach us and how we can follow Jesus. So now that we have done that, laid the groundwork for this message, really the message is a very simple message and I'd like to ask two questions and hopefully address those questions. The first question is what happened to this great city of Ephesus? 250,000 people. And secondly, what is the singular call that I see in this passage? What happened to this great, once great city of Ephesus? It was founded in 700 BC. It was originally occupied by indigenous people. The city was dedicated to the Greek goddess Artemis. And the largest temple ever built for Artemis was found in Ephesus. In fact, it was recognized as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Alexander the Great conquered the city and, and recaptured it for the Greek Empire. 
and a few hundred years later it was given as a gift to the Roman Empire. So say, you can remember Herod the Great, um, maybe 70, 80, 90 years before Herod the Great came on the scene, this city, which was a prosperous city, was given to Rome as a gift. Under Rome, it was the capital of the Asian province, and it was the most important trading center of Asia Minor. And this continued for about 400 years, and then it was conquered and destroyed by a Germanic tribe called the Goths. Although attempts were made to rebuild it many times, they all failed. They were never successful, and it eventually was abandoned in about 1400 AD. I thought about this great city. People very much like us lived there for a thousand years. There was commerce, culture, religion, extended family units, center of learning, a church. In other words, a scenario that looks very familiar to us. And I wondered if in Ephesus' period of prominence, at the height of their success, if any of the inhabitants could have ever imagined that one day this great city would be reduced to nothing, would be abandoned permanently, and would lie there in a dust heap for over, for approximately 2,000 years. I believe there is an important lesson here for me and for us to see and remember. I think I've been taught this lesson multiple times, but I think I've uh, forgotten it numerous times also. And the lesson I see is that there are eternal and temporary components of my life. I interact with these every day and need to remember this and make wise choices based on it. The Bible speaks this truth to us over and over again, and often uses nature to illustrate it. Here are a few examples. Very famous verse from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. 700 years later, Peter looked up at the universe, at the sky. I'm sure he couldn't imagine how large this thing was that he was looking at. But Peter wrote this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and listen to this, the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. Paul seems to be considering these types of things when he writes to the church at Corinth and shares with him his philosophy of living. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How do we process this truth? How do we apply it without becoming fanatical or excessive on one side, or on the other side, the other extreme, become lazy, nonchalant, and uncaring? Both of these positions will tend to deny the truth. Here are a few suggestions, four suggestions. We realize that God has given us many good and wonderful gifts. Some are temporary. For example, our current physical existence. Some are eternal. For example, the peace we have with our God, the guarantee of resurrection, the promise that we will live and serve him together. Secondly, to the best of our ability, we choose to invest our time our resources, our lives in the kingdom of God because we recognize its eternal nature. 
Thirdly, we ask God to direct us because these choices are often much more gray than I would choose and not as clear as I would like them to be. And fourthly, we give grace and understanding to our brothers and sisters, those men and women and boys and girls who are walking beside us, who are walking with Jesus, who are doing their best too to live for him. We want to give grace and understanding because we know that God has given us different circumstances. In a sense, we're walking on one path, the path that the Lord has given to us, but in a sense, the path is a little bit different for each of us, being led by Jesus in this life. This great city of Ephesus is a reminder to me that everything I choose to do and say is oriented either towards the temporary or the eternal. Maybe some activities are blended together. And I ask God to give me, and I ask God to give us, understanding and wisdom to live our lives the right way, and to be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us, teach me to number my day, my days, so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The city of Ephesus. Now what about the second point that I mentioned? What is the singular call that I see in the passage? Well, many people would read this passage and we could all have different points of view of what the most important point is. Uh, this is the one I'm bringing forward because this is the one that strikes me every time. And that is Revelation 2.4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. If we're perfectly honest with the text, the Bible does not explain what this first love is. All it does say is it was their first love. This is how I understand it based on my experience. When I came to Christ, I became aware that I needed forgiveness. Uh, my Catholic background had taught me that Jesus had died for the sins of the world, but I didn't know how to appropriate that for myself, and I didn't even feel that I needed to. Eventually, God helped me understand that I needed to be forgiven and I needed to acknowledge my need for forgiveness and that I too was a sinner. And I was like many in the New Testament. I was like the leper that needed cleansing. I was like blind Bartimaeus that needed to be able to see. I was like the cripple by the pool of Siloam that could not walk with God even if he wanted to. I was a religious person who came to Jesus at night, full of religion, but not full of him, never having been born again. One evening, March of 1978, I became convinced of my sin and I knelt down beside my bed, convinced, confessed my sin to God, and I asked him to forgive me, and I accepted and thanked him for what he had done for me on the cross, and I, I was born again. Whereas before I saw the world in use of black and white, now I saw color. I became aware of a very powerful transforming force in my life long before I read 2 Corinthians 5.17. And then when I read it, it says this, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature, all things pass away, all things become new. I recognized that's what's happening to me. At first, I cannot claim that I love Jesus, but the more he transformed me, the more I learned about him, I did begin to love him. And I did begin to want to serve him all of my life. 
Those early years of walking with Jesus were wonderful years and I, I spent them with Luis. I'm sure some of you remember the same experience or a similar experience. Things I had stolen or cheated somehow to get, I returned. Lifestyles that I had practiced that displeased God with God's help, grace and strength, I stopped. I had a new focus and it was following Jesus. More and more this was motivated by a love for Jesus and an appreciation of what he had done for me. Because of this experience, this is how I frame this passage and this is what I believe this first love was. That the Ephesians had met, loved and appreciated Jesus and wanted to serve him, but somehow they had left that first love. If I am correct, how might these believers in our text, how might these Ephesians lost their way and lost their love? We don't know. But because I know human nature and you know human nature and because I know myself, I have a few guesses. Here they are. The comfort and the affluence of Ephesus might have dulled their love for Jesus. The social life of a modern Greek city might have simply distracted them. The absence of difficulty or hardship might have seeded boredom in their spiritual lives. They just became bored with it all. Perhaps they abandoned thankfulness and that might have encouraged them to forget Jesus and, and forget even that they needed him. Or perhaps it was their religious duties. Jesus said these people worked work very hard and their service occupied a big place in their lives. Perhaps it occupied too big a place. You know, it can be that we do so much work at church or so much surface, service that that becomes a goal. That becomes the end point even without trying. And sooner or later it's not about Jesus. It's about us. It's about what we do. I'm sure some of these ideas describe me at times and if you see yourself in any of these examples then the next words that Jesus says are very important for me and for you. Consider how far you've fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. Jesus loves us, and I read this passage, I, I don't hear condemnation, harshness, anger in Jesus' voice. I hear a gentle voice coming to me, not in condemnation, but in hope. Not in putting me down, but in believing in me. Not in a desire to push me away, but in a desire to pull me towards him and to care for me. And so, like Zacchaeus, let us take some action so that we can see Jesus again in our lives. Let's climb a tree so that we can hear his voice say to us, Come down, I want to have fellowship with you. Let's be like John on the seashore of Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, looking at the shore. And he notices someone watching him. At first he doesn't know who it is. And then hearing and recognizing the voice of Jesus, he rushes to the shore. Let us look for Jesus in our daily lives. And when we see him, when we hear him, run to him. Like Mary, let's put aside even good things so that we can be with and listen to Jesus. What have we seen today? We've seen 
that there was a great city called Ephesus. It was a jewel of Asia Minor. It was an important center of business, trade, culture, and religion. It had a church there. But it disappeared from history, never to be built again. Each of us have our time, our life, our moment. We choose what we will do with it. Each choice can and does favor the temporary or the eternal. So let's make good choices and wise choices. And secondly, among the good things that these Ephesian believers had done, they had left Jesus behind. Jesus called to them and he calls to us. Consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Please touch us. Help us walk towards you. And help us be with you in a new and a fresh way. Amen.